Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. With me today is... Whoa, that was so good, wasn't it, man? <laughs> as, guests, as guests go, you nailed it. I, I would give that a 10. Take that, that Andrew. That a, take that. that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, we are connecting worldview, Jesus Christ, Lordship with real life and things that really, really matter. And I am incredibly blessed today to have one of my dear friends. Uh, as you all know, this podcast focuses on, on worldview and... Ryan McCann, uh, our guest today, the president of the Indiana Family Institute, an incredible um, ministry and organization down in, located in our nation's cap, or state capital, rather, that works at uh, the Indiana State House to bring about great pieces of legislation and to warn us against bad pieces of legislation. But Ryan, you one of the things we share in common is your love for Jesus and for Christian worldview. Um, that was something I know... You, you know, awakened your heart as an undergrad at uh, Indiana Wesleyan. Of course, I put a plug in for Taylor University, which is my undergrad. But I think both of us benefited truly from Christian higher education by being exposed to the whole notion of Christian worldview. So talk a little bit about that. And how does that tie in, you know, to what you're doing, you know, every day, slugging it out at the state house for, for us? Yeah, amen. Well, that's totally true. Biblical worldview thinking has really just transformed my life. And I came from a Christian home, mom and dad who loved the Lord, but really weren't involved in political or policy, you know, thought or life or... Did you even of, hear of the word biblical worldview growing up in church or anything? I no, know I did. No, did not. Not in my church. You know, we can't had a very good Bible-based church, but yeah. no, it just wasn't uh, wasn't talked a lot of, about. And so going to Indiana Wesleyan University, you know, at the time, it's been a few years now, yeah. but uh, the professors there, particularly in the social science department, were just really big on biblical worldview. Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis, right. Chuck Colson, all those type of, uh, of folks. And we, was, We've talked about a lot of those uh, voices on this podcast. Those are some of the, the great thinkers uh, that really established. I guess, I guess for me, understanding biblical worldview broadened the gospel. Yeah, I knew about having Jesus in our heart, right? Yeah, having a personal yeah. relationship, salvation. But it was Christian worldview that just blew the box up. Yeah, right. And I realized, right. wow, Jesus, like you just mentioned, Jesus is Lord of politics? Yeah. Wow, I just thought he was Lord over the church. Yeah. But it's bigger than that. And when you realize the scope of his greatness, mm -hmm. uh, you realize, wow, the whole cosmos exists for his glory, which means anything we do, uh, we do for the glory of God. And that's... So talk about your journey, I guess, yeah. from... From Indiana Wesleyan, raising a Christian family, and then what you're doing now—that's um, kind of a, a, a leap for some people. Yeah. Like it does not compute. Yeah. How does a nice Christian guy spend his days slugging it out at the state house, <laughs> yeah. uh, dealing with politics? Yeah, you know, yeah. Talk about that for a little bit. As William Wilberforce said, uh, "Should I do ministry or should I do politics?" Yes. And the answer is both, right? Yes. And uh, you know, just back to biblical worldview for a minute. Just you know, there's such a, a pull in our culture and especially when I was a, a younger man, but still to this day, of compartmentalizing our lives, yeah. right? We're going to go to church on Sunday, but when we go to work or we do some of these other things that we're going to compartmentalize that, we're going to just be who we want to be in those different areas. Right. And that's what really you know, struck home with me is that you cannot compartmentalize. Yeah. You have to be either G Jesus is Lord over all or none. Yeah. And I, I was confronted with that early on, and that, that's what really struck through to me with the biblical worldview, to have my thinking, to have every thought and, and idea held captive for the Lord. Yeah. And uh, so that's what pushed me in the direction. Well, you know, when you talk about compartmentalization as a disciple, we get that. Like 
Jesus is Lord over all of my life. I, I can't just be a Sunday only Christian. I think most people understand that. But for me, the the radical part of Christian worldview is that it's bigger than just my personal faith. I mean, because what what we're saying is you cannot compartmentalize Jesus just to the church or just to politics or government or to education. In fact, Jesus is Lord over every institution that exists. Right. That is radical. That's right, absolutely. And when you and when you connect those dots, especially in the public arena, that's where I think people start to feel the greatness of Jesus because it's like wait a minute, are you trying to say Jesus yeah. belongs here? Yeah, yeah. And you run into that, I'm sure, a lot at the State House, but that's exactly what he's saying. Oh, yeah. He absolutely. belongs everywhere. <laughs> and as you know, when you give yourself over to the Lord in every area, that's when the fun really begins. Yeah. You know, yeah. it can be a scary thing to say, I'm here, Lord, send me, but it's an amazing thing because when you let him take the wheel and, and really drive it in every area of life, you he takes you to some fun places, so, including <laughs> hanging out with you. <laughs> yeah, we've been in trouble a few times. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, but you're usually the one I'm praying for and trying. Yeah, in fact, I uh, our little joke back and forth is I, I call my buddy here uh, Wilberforce after William Wilberforce because you bring up a very good point. You know, uh, Wilberforce, of course, carried the the burden of of seeing um, the slave trade ending in, in Great Britain and the world for that matter, but certainly in his country. But he also had a heart for the Lord and for the church and for the reformation of morals in the country. And and he was wrestling with that tension of, I guess it's either or thinking. And, um, and it was... Uh, uh, the great hymn writer uh, who wrote Amazing Grace. Who am I? Help me out. Yes. Uh, was, uh, was it Wesley? Not Wesley. It was, uh, gosh, Newton. who's in the... Newton. Newton. Newton, Newton. That's Newton. right, yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, sorry. I was just We're trying to picture in the We're movie. We're pulling it out. You can tell we have this scripted perfectly today. No, but, but it was John Newton, the former slave trader himself, yes, who, yes. who really challenged him. And Wesley was the one, back to your point, that wrote him that letter yeah. that said, you know, you've been raised up for such a time as this, and that what he was doing was really a holy work. Yeah. And, um, and talk about how you wrestling with that same dichotomy, I guess, in your call, because yeah. you have a big heart for Jesus, you love the church, you love, you yeah. know, you love yeah. God's people, and yet you have a major passion and call right. for public policy. That's right. You know, as growing up as a kid, no interest really in politics, didn't have that in my family or policy, no, none of that background, and I just felt really called during my time in Indiana Wesleyan, um, a sense of stewardship. Yeah. Of when you look at our founding fathers, you look at the history of our nation, all the trying to rewrite history. Uh, we're a Christian nation. We were founded by vast majority of Christian people who were applying their faith to life and to government, and it's it's amazing. I know you've studied him, but I love David Barton and Wall Builders yeah. and a lot of the information that they have, and uh, been involved in a lot of that over the years. And I just really felt a stewardship responsibility. If the Lord has given us these tremendous liberty, you know, just the the concept of self government. You know, throughout the entire history of the world, every civilization would have loved just that concept that we have that, that people have never had throughout yeah, the course the of history. The whole understanding of freedom and uh, our forms of government and right. the rule of law and all, all these yeah. things. You know, we've been talking about that a lot on this podcast, that a lot of the ideas that have shaped the, this great nation that we are came from the Bible. That's yeah. when we talk about being a Christian nation. Uh, these ideas came from somewhere. They came from the scriptures. Um, and so you're seeing all this. I know your heart's moving. You were a product of public school. I was too. Mm -hmm. yep. And and when I first went to a Christian university and realized that all the subjects we studied had some tie in a Christian worldview or, or in the Word of God, yeah. 
I felt, first of all, I felt gypped, especially as it relates to history. I kept yeah. thinking, how come I never learned this before, uh, you know, in my government class? Yeah, yeah. It had been sanitized from the gospel. Right, that's right. And there's this feeling of, of, I have a mission to uncover and to, you know, to, to reestablish these truths in, in yeah. the minds of young people in our church and nation today. So you were feeling a little bit of that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, history is so much fun when you actually get the full history. When you just get a government sanitized version that doesn't have the fun stuff in it, yeah. the interesting things from somebody who's a believer, yeah. then it really takes all the good stuff out. No wonder you know, yeah. nobody wants the to. The supernatural nature of our founding, for instance, there's, yeah. there's all kinds of providential, oh, yeah. miraculous acts. I mean, America is a, is a, a, a miracle. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, that's what makes it exciting. And when yeah. it gets sanitized... Uh, uh, it loses something. It becomes boring. That's right. Names and dates and, and, and facts. But, yeah. Um, and so but anyway, when yeah. I was at Indiana Wesley, and I had a great professor who's since passed away named Dr. Glenn Martin, and he, he tried to, as he called, reinterpret bibli uh, history biblically. And he basically took look through world events and, and pair them with how God was moving in the world and, and make those connections. Yep. And uh, that was really transformative to me, to think of history. It's not a secularized, scrubbed that's not the way it works. You know, God and the, the human events are working in concert together, yeah. and He is sovereign over all of it, and we get to participate in yeah. it. So that was exciting to me, and to think, how could I, in my time and place in which I was born, serve the Lord? And he, He's always just given me these passions for government. Um, how I kind of picture it in my mind is history and government is sort of like a conveyor belt that is pushing people down a certain way. And in, in some cultures and in, in parts of the world, that, that conveyor belt is pushing people in a wrong direction. Yeah. And for a lot of our country, we've been pushing people in a good direction, and that's shifted. And so trying to get government and those institutions back on pointing people to the good life and to truth and to good things that will help them, whether they're believers or not, yeah. um, that's what institutions used to do. And now they're pushing people into evil and into difficult yeah. things and things that will hurt them. And so that, that was really inspirational to me. I, I got to get involved in that. There's a stewardship responsibility yeah. uh, so to get I, involved. I must have met you shortly after uh, you graduated from college. Mm -hmm. you, you were, we were both much younger men then. <laughs> uh, still handsome as we oh, are today, yeah, but right, much course, younger. Right, yeah. And uh, I, I remember when I I ran for office. I was a youth pastor, and that's really how I got introduced. I didn't know the Indiana Family Institute existed. I got to meet so many wonderful people, and I still remember in my office, which is now destroyed uh, with all of our new construction, but I still remember meeting you and your predecessor, uh, a great Hoosier statesman, Kurt Smith, uh, up in, in my office for that first time, and that was the beginning of, of an incredible relationship. So how did you how did you get connected with the Indiana Family Institute back in the day? And of course, now you you are the president. But how did you get yeah. get connected first of all? So from that calling at Indiana Wesleyan University, I got my master's degree at Regent University. Come on, yeah. And that's then, another thing I forgot we shared. That's Come right, on. exactly. Regent Regent Brothers here. Come on. And uh, so I had a great program there, and had a, a two year master program, and then uh, finishing that up, I needed to do a professional project. So I did some research for the Indiana Family Institute through that. Oh, wow. And it just in God's timing. Uh, Kurt Smith, now our board chairman, then president of the organization, needed staff, and he brought me on. And you know, we've been uh, yeah. a band of brothers ever since. And yeah. then I took over the organization in 2019 when he 
uh, semi-retired, but yeah. he's still very still involved, involved yeah. and chairman of my board. And, yeah, and phen- phenomenal man, uh, yes. one of my favorite people, and I know yeah. yours too. Um, but talk a little bit, uh, of course, uh, we're, uh, we're capturing this uh, podcast uh, on the occasion of of Ryan's being here tonight to speak to our public square ministry, uh, it's it's at the middle of the uh, of the session at legislative session. The bills of flip flopped houses uh, or chambers, uh, and uh, and talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing down there, what your normal day is like, and then maybe highlight for us some of the. Uh, important pieces of legislation, I guess, not so much the bills and the numbers and all that, which people can get overwhelmed with, but what are the issues that you're, that we're having to fight now at a state level? Sure. Understood. So a daily, you know, a a look into the life down at the state house. So first of all, a lot of people forget there even is a state legislature, right? They think everything happens in DC and that's, we're up here in the Northwest corner. We're two and a half hours from the state house and and we get Chicago news. So I mean, That that's the problem we have, right? Absolutely, is, is what's even going on down at the state house. It happens all the time over the years. Ask ask our folks, who's your state rep? Who's your state senator? Oh, is it uh, Todd Young or Mike Braun? No, that's <laughs> <Nope>. in DC. <laughs> yeah. So you you have a state legislature who is supposed to serve you down at the Indiana State House, and uh, really, when you look at the founding fathers and federalism, uh, those local areas of government, local and state, are closer to the people. And there's a lot that we can do yeah. of things that we're seeing problems in culture. Uh, and, and really, some, more and more of that is shifting back to the states. Even if you look at Roe versus Wade being yeah. overturned and, yep. and other things. During the Trump administration, all the liberals wanted federalism all of a sudden, right? They discovered it and wanted, you know, local communities to make these decisions instead of the federal government. And uh, it's kind of ironic there. And so there's more and more of a need for a group like the Indiana Family Institute to yeah. be down at the state house and to stand for faith, family, and freedom I always, values. I always tell our people, you guys are like missionaries to unreached people groups, you know, I mean, <laughs> when you get into the realm of politics, you know, there's a lot of, there's, there's some really good people who, yeah. who know the Lord, but then you got some really, you know, dark people who, who don't know God from a hole in the ground. And, and, and your presence at the state house, building relationships, talking about ideas that, that matter, crafting, crafting policy, uh, uh, initiatives is critical. So I, I like to tell pastors and churches, don't forget, you know, the valuable role that you guys play for us as literally missionaries, bringing the light of the gospel to a, a sometimes a very dark place. Yeah. So um, a lot of people don't realize when they send their state senator or state house member, they elect them and send them to the legislature. They just accept, expect oh, we have a majority Republican leadership there. They're going to do really conservative things. And that, that doesn't, it doesn't always happen, that does it, right? Um, it's one thing to get elected. It's another to pass a bill into law. And once again, the genius of the Founding Fathers, it's much harder to pass a bill than it is to kill a bill. And so when you are the majority party in control, it's hard. It's hard to pass those things. And uh, so that's where we come in. Over 1,000 bills get introduced in the legislature wow. every year. Uh, that's that's stunning right there. So you guys have to wade through and committee chairs and all that. And they wade through all that legislation and then figure out what's going to be the, the priority. Absolutely. In a very short period of time. You know, in a long session like this one, we're a two-year budget cycle. So this year, it's January through the end of April. You have to have everything done. And that's, wow. you know, all the way through one house and then over to the other. So a ton has to go into that. And uh, just for a legislator, just have, just being able to read the bills and understand them is just a monumental task. And so groups like Indiana Family Institute are so helpful in that we can have areas of expertise that we could focus on, like free speech and religious liberty and family issues. Yeah. We can educate legislators on 
how these how these bills work. We even put together a lot of language for legislators and educate them, give them the information they need to be successful as they talk about the issues. Get experts down to the state house to testify on the issues yeah. to help them help their colleagues on on the committees yeah. understand the issues and be able to vote edu- in an educated manner yeah. and work the bills all the way through the process. It's a long, difficult process. Um, just today, I was uh, you know texting and calling with people on a few of our bills, trying to help with strategy to try to keep them moving. So it's right. a and good then process. Obviously, too, you guys communicate with, with your constituents all across the state, people who care about family and marriage and life and all these issues you just talked about. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes you sound the alarm, like, yeah. hey, please call. Here's the number. And, you know, we do that here at the church. We, when we get educated largely by you uh, and others, good folks on the state level, and then we've got some folks that educate us on the federal level. And when we need to sound the alarm, that's exactly what we do. So thank you for, for helping us be aware of, of uh, you know, those types of legis- pieces of legislation that are dangerous or something that is really going to be great. Mm-hmm. I know um, we work together, uh, largely you. I say me, I showed up for a steak dinner. But uh, <laughs> but on the uh, RIFRA uh, legislation yeah. that passed um, uh, and partner on, on various bills like that that are of really importance, you know, significance. Yeah. So um, what would you say, you know, if you had to talk about uh, two or three of the major issues that seem to be on the radar at the state house? you know, of course, it is a budget year. Uh, so there's always the money and where that's going. But what about on the social issues? Uh, yeah. What are you seeing? What are what are the, the biggest, I guess, flashpoints? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good bills moving this session, which is which is great. I think our biggest one is something we're calling the help not harm bill. Mm-hmm. So that's help don't harm kids with gender identity issues. And a lot of people don't realize Riley Children's Hospital, yeah. they do puberty blocking drugs. They do cross-sex hormones. They refer and encourage surgery as well. So, so um, just to put a pause here, you know, I was absolutely stunned at that all this was happening in a state like Indiana with a supermajority of conservatives, yeah. uh, a Republican Party with a supermajority, not even close. Mm-hmm. And in our own backyard, you have a, a hospital like that that's that's pushing these radical, progressive, insane, you know, child mutilating policies right yeah. under our nose and how that yeah. could happen in our in our own backyard. And, and you yeah. guys are aware of this, obviously, and yeah. exposing this and uh, and helping pass legislation to stop it. So yeah. so what what's going on there and what's this what's this bill seek to do? Yeah. So uh, the bill passed through the Senate. It's over under the House now. We should get a hearing soon. Basically, what it says is that medical folks can't push minors into puberty blocking drugs, cross-sex hormones, and surgery. Just more and more that we're seeing, it's just uh, tremendously devastating, obviously, when and, you... And once this this process gets started, yeah. there's no reversing it. No. So these, these kids are, are damaged for the rest of their lives. I That's mean, right. It's an irreversible decision. These drugs are not meant for the what they're using them for. When they were FDA approved, uh, for example, puberty blocking drugs were meant for when you have very early puberty that should not be happening that early to try to delay it a year or two at most. Um, These are trying, they're trying to delay it a decade or more and then add on cross-sex hormones. Uh, We're we're seeing people with osteoporosis at young Mm -hmm. ages with organ damage, with all sorts of structural damage to their body. And then you get into the surgeries. I've been able to meet and have relationships with a few detransitioners 
you know, lifelong pain and suffering and yeah. just de- debilitating medical issues uh, because of this. And it's just, it's sad. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, it's about an ideology and it's about, a, and it's about money yeah. because it's, it's a, a big moneymaker for hospitals. It's a billion dollar industry already. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's sad because we're seeing, we're seeing folks come. And of course the supply issues. side of, of the medical side mm-hmm. is, is now, uh, the predatory, you know, policies and and teaching that's in our public schools. Um, so talk a little bit about that because there is an incredibly disturbing case that I really want our our listeners to hear about. Because again, up in our part of Northwest Indiana, I don't know that it's made the news, but talk about the family that you know that with the child that was taken away and yeah. and um, th- this is something that I think concerns parents anyway. I don't care what what side of the political aisle you're on. Yeah. Parents are deeply concerned about this. That's interesting. Uh, that's one of the interesting things on some of the issues we're dealing with these days is they really are, in a lot of sense, bipartisan, where there's you know conservative Republicans that support yeah. them, but also actually some center-left people, several of the de- detransitioners who have testified for us are Democrats, are liberals, are ACLU supporting yeah. you know one gal's in a same-sex uh, relationship, a marriage with uh, another female. I mean, it's uh, it's it's coming to the point where these are so obviously evil and and difficult the things that are yeah. happening that we're getting broad uh, broad coalitions on this specific case Mary and Jeremy Cox um, here in Indiana great Catholic family they have six kids uh, their son was having gender identity issues and another of other mental health issues uh, at the age of 16 a couple of years ago. They got in touch with us because DCS was investigating them because they would not refer to their biological male son as a female. And he said that it was basically a threat to his life, that it was uh, so difficult uh, to him to deal with that, that he needed to be removed from the home. Suffering from a lot of mental health issues, they were getting him the help that he needed. But rather than let the parents be parents, the Department of Child Services went in and removed the child um, and put actually, uh, long story short, put him with a foster family who did not share the faith and the fa- the family values of the family and went ahead and socially transitioned the the excuse me the child and allowed him to uh, identify as a female against the parents wishes uh, we've been litigating and representing through our five freedoms project uh, the family and uh, the child just aged out of the system turned 18 in December and uh, we're still in litigation on the case but yeah. it's amazing I, I can't imagine if my ch- one of my children is struggling uh, and uh, all of a sudden, a government agency comes in and forcefully removes my child, and then threatens me with right. punishment if I if I don't go along with it. Yeah. Um, again, the issue here this is we're, we're highlighting biblical worldview and how important it is for public policy. This is a parental rights issue. Like, who has the authority over our children? And of right. course, from a biblical perspective. Parents do. We have the authority. We have the responsibility, and, and this is, this would be a clear example of the encroachment of government into a sphere that they have no business in and have no authority in. Right. And yet, this is happening again in conservative, you know, uh, middle Middle West Indiana, you know, uh, family, you know, yeah. Catholic family. It's yeah. absolutely stunning to me. So I appreciate you guys jumping in there and being a part of that and exposing what's going on, and hopefully correcting it for so others don't have to go through the same. Yeah. Horror. We've appealed that case to the Indiana Supreme Court. We had a bad ruling at the district and the Court of Appeals, which was really shocking in this case. 
you know, as we've gone through this case, there's just been a lot of just factual inaccuracies. Um, and it's been def- difficult for the parents because you're talking about a minor. So a yeah. lot of the details of the case can't be out there publicly. Right. So the parents really can't even defend themselves in yeah. some situations. And the uh, Court of Appeals decision particularly was just awful. It just had some factual inaccuracies of what happened. It stated in there that they were v- verbally abusive to their to their son. Sure. Which is not true. Uh, they were not abusive in any way, shape, or form. They just wanted to refer to him as a biological male because they knew that was the help that he needed was counseling and right. and to work through these issues. And instead, uh, they were viewed as the enemy of the state and and attacked, which is just uh, shocking and wrong and yeah. uh, on every level. And um, it's, so, are, you, know, you know, and I've heard, I guess, more. Of this it probably is happening more in the Indianapolis Beltway, uh, closer to urban areas than maybe in some of our rural areas. This was in Anderson, Indiana. Okay. So, I mean, you know, um, but it yeah. could happen anywhere. It, I guess what I'm referring to is is the curriculum itself, like yeah. the CRT push or some of the gender uh, sure. craziness push. Uh, I know you've had to fight that. I know Micah Beckwith's been in the yeah. battle down there with uh, with some of our libraries and some of the, the just the perversion pornographic materials in our libraries. Um, are, are you dealing with legislation that to help keep that from happening? Yeah, absolutely. There's several other pieces of legislation, one of which would say that, you know, sexual orientation, gender identity topics couldn't be taught. The bill says K through third grade. I would like to see it not taught in anywhere in the public schools. <laughs> absolutely. There's, there's nowhere that that's appropriate ever to talk about those issues. Let's leave that up to the parents. Yeah. Uh, there's also a piece of that bill that protects teachers, because what I'm finding also, I'm getting a lot of Christian teachers that teach in the public schools and are salt and light. They're doing great work. They're being pushed out of the industry because the administration's you know, just will not allow them to live out their faith, particularly they want to force them to use the pronouns and encourage kids to socially transition and all these things, hide things from their parents and not tell them when kids are struggling with this stuff at school. It's just crazy some of the stuff we're dealing with. And it's not just in urban areas. It's it's all over the place. Sometimes it'll be in the suburbs. Sometimes it only takes like one activist teacher really in a community or an administrator or others, um, you know, to cause serious problems. And so we're seeing a patchwork all over the place where we're trying to help both parents and students, also good Christian teachers, also school board members and administrators sometimes. Sometimes it's a school board that just doesn't know what to do. They want to do the right thing. They don't right. know what to do. So we're trying to help them with policies. Yeah. Um, and I know a, a lot of school board folks or administrators and the school systems, they're always afraid of the litigation and the negative attention and all that kind of thing. And again, who wants to be sued and who wants... Uh, negative press, um, but at some point people have to stand up and they've yeah. got to say no. And I think I think parents are, are have had enough. Um, I know I saw in the New York school system uh, something like a million parents have removed their children, or a million students have been removed from uh, mm-hmm. New York school system, which is crazy. I mean, there, I really believe if public education doesn't get this right, uh, and then we should be demanding for school choice initiatives where we where uh, our kids can go in the educational setting that we feel most comfortable with. Uh, I think I think public education needs to really wake up and smell the coffee because there's going to be a mass exodus. Um, and again, it's going to be no fault but their own. No, no one's here saying, you know, anti-public school, you know, that's that's not certainly not our our stance at all, but if they don't start listening, if they're tone deaf to parents, and this stuff can happen in a school system, who wants to who wants to subject their kid right. to an environment where their child could be ripped out of their home? Right. Um, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, that's just the, I, that is probably the worst case scenario that a parent could possibly imagine happening, and um, and they're just not going to put up with it. You know, right. we in our building here, we have two homeschool co-ops, over two hundred kids that meet every single week. Um, they met all through COVID. We had no problems. Um, and, uh, and they thanked me over and over again for creating an atmosphere where kids actually felt normal and, um, and their educational processes would not be disturbed um, and parents could be involved and all of that. So I hope it creates, you know, somewhat of an awakening uh, among our public schools. Although when you look at the teachers, state teachers union again, these folks are promoting some of the most wicked and perverted stuff every year we deal with them. Right. Yeah, they are one right. of the biggest uh, problems with public education. Oh, yeah. I know so many teachers that, you know, the te- the just like so many associations, the State Teachers Association doesn't represent them. Right. Um, the values that the lobbyists for the State Teachers Association espouses down, uh, espouses down at the State House is totally at odds with the average teacher and what they believe. Yeah. Um, and, so what? Yeah. I, let's just pause it. So, yeah. so what do you tell what do you tell a, a teacher that's like, you guys don't represent me? I mean, I mean, are they still forced to to pay into the teachers' unions, or are they able to to say, no, nah, I don't want my I don't want my money? They don't. Going they on. don't have to. Okay. They don't have to join. But it's it's problematic with some of the services offered. You know, some insurance and other things that. But um, and the other thing, some Christian teachers will try to do is join the teachers' union just to have some sort of influence. But right. then others don't join. There's not a great answer. You know, the teachers' union does have really a monopoly on representing teachers. Um, so even if the teachers, you know, that don't want to be involved, pull themselves out, then it just leaves the, you know, it, it even a darker place. Exactly. Um, and so there's not a lot of good um, answers for teachers, unfortunately, with the teachers I, association. I, I my advice to teachers is. You know, just keep doing what you're doing in the local schools. Don't worry about the union. Just try to ignore them as much as possible and go out and be Jesus to those kids in your classroom in the local school. And that's where we're trying to help them, where if, you know, all the Christian teachers leave the public schools, so many times they're the ones holding things together. Absolutely. And 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 I just want to say publicly, we we have... So many wonderful folks that are on our school boards, that are uh, our superintendent of schools, teachers, administrators that love the Lord and are really are really doing their best to shine. And so, you know, just to be clear, we're, we're not anti, but yeah. but that is a major threat. And if oh, and, and we have this pesky thing called the First Amendment yeah. that we need to keep reminding um, people of that. You know, a teacher's faith does not stop because they go to school. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't stop in their classroom. They don't have to leave Jesus at home. Uh, that's what our First Amendment protects. Right. I just want to say this too. Uh, we have a lot of Christian business owners who are members of local chambers of commerce, and you and I both watch the metamorphosis of the chamber yeah. from a relatively conservative, at least fiscally conservative, mm-hmm. it used to be socially conservative, to where now the chamber is supporting all kinds of horrific oh, things. Absolutely. They're no they're no longer yeah. our friends. That's right. No, that's right. I think we're seeing a fundamental shift in our country where the institutions where some of which we could rely on in the past name a major institution now that we can trust. Yeah, exactly. Um and and I think we're seeing a major shift in politics, we're seeing a major shift just in culture on those sorts of er- issues and areas and I think I have hope long term that we can shift some of those things and and either remake some other institutions that compete or take back some of those institutions. But I see a major shift with the average person out in the community saying, wow, all these institutions are failing. Um, There's a certain arrogance with some of the people that run these institutions. They feel that they're better than a lot of the average people out there just trying to raise kids and families. And um, there's a major split in the country in, in those areas. And 
uh, that's coming to a head. I think we saw that with some of you know the uh, discussions and arguments and even policy decisions in the Trump administration between yep. those two groups. And yep. I think we continue to continue to see it play out. And uh, it's important for the future of the country, even though the, I think the vast majority of people would believe in the common sense things we're talking about here today. There are a small group of, of folks, really, when you look at it, that control these institutions yeah. that are creating, creating major problems for our country. Yeah, it, it is the echo chamber. Uh, I think a lot of local politicians are saying, hey, guys, uh, we're out of touch with average America. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is we've lost, you know, it gets back to biblical worldview, which is what we're talking about right here. Mm-hmm. When the church started believing that Jesus just belonged in the four walls of the church. We started pulling out of education. We started pulling out of the media, journalism, um, uh, our universities and colleges. Um, I mean, you name it, every uh, mind-shaping institution. And now we find ourselves, corporate America's gone woke. The media's gone woke. Uh, Most of our politicians are out of touch. Uh, Most of our public anything has gone woke. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we're outnumbered and everybody's, uh, you know, doesn't believe like us. But that's yeah. just not true. That's not true. Um, no. We just don't have the megaphones, but we're that's starting right. to get those megaphones. That's right. And I think part of what biblical worldview says is don't retreat, mm-hmm. run into the battle. That's right. And, and, and be faithful and take ground and be a good steward and occupy until Jesus comes. Amen. And, uh, and that to me is where our hope lies. Amen. So um, I guess I want to, and just in the few minutes we have left, if you had a, a megaphone here, which you do, a microphone to speak to uh, just Christians who are watching, um, as it relates to what you do, and it's important, and, and what you know, advice you would give them, share your heart a little bit with with just believers, and 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 in this day and age, what you're seeing, you're you're right on the on the front lines of the battle. So. Yeah. The bullets are flying, the bombs are exploding all around, and if anybody knows what's going on and where the battles are being fought, you do. So share your heart with parents, and then I, then I want to ask you one final question. I'm, sure. saving, I'm saving a hard one for the end. Absolutely. That's that's good. <laughs> well, I would say just take courage. I, I, I think um, you know a lot of what we see in social media and media and other things that we read and see are fake or make-believe, or not the real story. They're, they're made, they're designed to make us feel like we're alone and isolated and can do nothing. The common sense is still alive and well in America. It's just with the average mom and dad raising their kids, just trying to live their life, not running the corporation or running the institution or running the, you know, making the decisions at the, you know, Channel 6 News or whatever. Um, so I, I would say, number one, take courage. One of the things that I think is most effective that we do at IFI these days is just come alongside regular people, regular Christians who represent the majority of Indiana, and just come alongside them and say, you can do this. You can live out your faith and culture. You don't have to hide. Um, we we can still we still have liberty and freedom in America. Things are going in a, in a bad direction, but there's still plenty that you can do. And so that that's what we try to do with all of our programs, whether it's our leadership series, our Daniel Initiative, or the different things that we do. Our Five Freedoms Project, representing people. We just try to give. I think there's a need for Christians in our state and in our nation to have courage and realize. That, you know, you read through biblical history and the disciples and the prophets and read all the way from the Old Testament to Old Testament to the New Testament. I still think we have it better than almost any era that you can read in Scripture. Absolutely. And we just need to have the courage to get out there in all, our culture, retake that local chamber of commerce, 
Think about how your local small business can influence your community for good, for Jesus. Um, not compartmentalizing our faith, but yeah. to think about it in all areas of life, how we vote, how we spend our money, how are we going to remake our community so it's better for our, our kids and our grandkids. I think there's still plenty of hope to do that. Uh, we're, we're really hope givers at IFI these days, and I find once we can kind of get that fire in people's belly, that, oh, it's it's not a lost cause. America is worth saving. Indiana, we can do some really good things. Um, it's amazing what a relatively small group of people can do, and we're seeing that every day. Yeah. Well, that's encouraging. And that's the thing I love about our worldview is we are prisoners of hope. Yeah. Uh, it's never too dark. It's never a situation beyond hope. Yeah. Uh, that's the beauty of Christ and, and, and the gospel to transform people and transform nations. So yeah. last question I would ask you is um, what would be your plea to local pastors? Um, yeah. You know, we live in that that compartmentalization, I guess, is probably as profound as ever in the local church. Uh, Mm -hmm. We care about people's souls. um, We want to get people in heaven. But the rest of what's going on, I I think sometimes pastors feel overwhelmed. Sometimes pastors just feel like, I'm not an expert there. I'm not going to try to do something where I have no clue. Uh, You know, there's lots of issues there that, I guess, lead to the silencing of the pulpit. But... What would be your plea um, as it relates to local church pastors knowing what you guys do and, and maybe how, how can they really make a big difference? Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, if I could, uh, I don't believe in cloning, but if I could and clone you <laughs> and have you around the state, that's what I would do. I would just say, uh, if you're a pastor and you don't know Dr. Ron, you should, uh, and you do a great job of giving courage and giving hope and uh, having that balance of truth and love out in culture. And we just need more pastors that are willing to engage in that way. I think pastors sometimes hear the loudest voice in their church or their community, and the loudest voice usually is not the majority voice. Yeah, uh, it is not the people. It is not the people that really represent uh, your church body or the community. Um, the loudest voice uh, uh, oftentimes is, is not represent that at all. And so I would just say courage. I would say um, you don't have to be a policy expert like me or a lobbyist or anyone yeah. like that. But um, this artificial separation of church and state where you think you can't get involved in your community and make a difference, that's from the devil. Yeah. That's just not true at all. And we need... we. The, the, the crux of our faith, the basis of our biblical worldviews, we need to get in there in our, in our communities. Yeah. We need to get out there and be effective for Jesus. And you, you so. know, I, I've actually, we, we talk a lot about worldview and it's how that's changed our lives, but I really believe you can almost put pastors in one of two pots. Mm-hmm. Those who have had Christian worldview training mm-hmm. um, understand that the gospel is broad. Yeah. Those that have not... Um, they don't get it. It's like the the paradigm's not even there. Um, And we both experienced that kind of transformational thinking when we went off to college. It was like, it was mind-blowing to me. I remember coming out of class telling my wife-to-be, honey, you won't ever believe what I learned today. (laughs) All truth is God's truth, wherever it's found. Oh my gosh, I never heard this before. Wow. And I I started connecting the dots and it it, it created like an explosion in my brain. Uh, when I started going, wow, Jesus is bigger than I thought he was. And uh, so I would encourage pastors, g- read some good books. Chuck Colson's book, How Now Shall We Live? You know, you mentioned Francis Schaeffer. There's some great, great writers who can help you get equipped with a Christian worldview. And then I just want to say this too. I have so appreciated you and your ministry, your organization, because 
I don't know what's going on with, I can't, I don't have time to sort through all those bills. I got to work on my message. I, I got to get Matt stuff on time and I, I got all kinds of stuff I got to do. I don't have time to, to, to sort through all of that. But the beauty is you guys, that's what you do. And you send out these beautiful uh, uh, emails that succinctly capture what's going on and what we need to do. And here's the number. And this is why this is important. And that is a massive blessing to a local church pastor. Um, so thank you guys for what you do. Thank you uh, just for pushing righteousness forward. I know there's been battles you've been in where sometimes you just need prayer. You need to know yeah. that the church is praying for you because it's not easy. Um, and, uh, and so thank you for the, the nature of the spiritual warfare that you're willing to engage in, you know, day after day, uh, down at the state house. And, um, I can't imagine what Indiana would be like if it were not, you know, for the Indiana Family Institute organizations like you and, you, and yourself, all, all the work and effort that you put forward. So I encourage pastors, send some money down there too. This is a, this is a valuable ministry. Hey, I put a check in his That's pocket. That's right. Absolutely. Right here. There it is. I'm practicing <laughs> what I preach. That's in fact, right. I invite him up to our church so I can hand him money and so he can tell us what's going on. And I encourage every pastor who's watching, this This could be a regular part of your year, is to bring these folks into your church, introduce them, celebrate what they do, and then bless this ministry. It's a nonprofit group. They survive on on the generosity of people across the state that, uh, that believe in what they do. So, Ryan, thank you for coming up. Thank you for being my friend, and uh, I've, I've been so enriched by you, and uh, we just pray God's richest blessing as you continue doing fighting the good fight at the State House. Yeah, you're very welcome. I appreciate so much the opportunity to be here, and I wish, like I said, if we had more living stones all over the state, you know, uh, we could just absolutely uh, conquer. Amen. Well, hey, we're, we're working on it, but whether you're living stones or not, God can use your church. So anyway, till, till we meet again next Thursday, thank you guys for watching. This is a valuable podcast. I hope you found it to be very, very helpful. Introduce Ryan and the Indiana Family Institute to your friends. All right. We'll see you next Thursday.